All right, everybody, welcome back. This is episode number 24, I think. That's right, 24. 24 of the Recovery Lab podcast series. I'm Drew Hassan. I'm Daniel Anderson. And uh, we're here today with the one and only Malcolm White this morning. Welcome, Malcolm. Thank you. So glad to be here, guys. Well, we appreciate your being here. I know that... uh, what everybody looks forward to is coming up here on a Sunday morning to, <laughs> to be grilled about their no. life. But no, uh, in all honesty, honesty uh, thank you for giving your time this morning. Thank you. My pleasure. Uh, so the typical uh, intro is the same. If you know of something out there that could be of some benefit to somebody in recovery, like where the free Narcan is, or if you've got an inroad to help somebody get into treatment or don't mind taking them to a treatment center or just something beneficial, comment, post about it, uh, let the community at large know, uh, and then additionally comment with any suggestions or criticisms uh, let us know how we can do better or what we can do that might improve things. Uh, I think that's, oh yeah. And I, as always, please go to recoverylabllc.com and buy a hoodie. They are fantastic hoodies. Very handsome. Yeah. Top, top notch, top of the line. Everything top is notch. premium with these things. I got to say. Top I, shelf. I, I take it, I say it every week, but I take a shower in them. I, I wear them to bed, everything. It instantly makes you more attractive. It really does. Yeah. Your, that's wi- your actually wife how will I be got all married. over yeah, you. That's, that's how I got married. It was yeah. that hoodie. So, yeah. They're cheap and uh, very attractive. So yeah. it's a win-win. Yeah, absolutely. And you support us. And so, you support us. Well, look, without further ado, Malcolm, thank you, man. Thanks yeah. again. Great. Happy Sunday morning. Happy, Happy Sunday, Sunday morning. morning. Absolutely. All right. So we have the 40th. Mal's, Hal's, right? Formerly uh, Mal's, formerly Mal's St. Patty's Day Parade coming up, and it's going to be the third week in March. Is that fourth. right? The fourth week. Okay, so we don't it's March twenty five. All right, so we're not. Gonna and there's have a to... reason that people get that confused. I get it. It and, used to be the third Saturday. Okay, and we're and this way. We don't have to worry about um, uh, spring break. Correct. Is that right. That's one of the reasons it's no longer the third Saturday. The other one is. When we uh, reconstituted with the Sweet Potato Queens, uh, they were with us the whole journey, and uh, they broke off uh, many years ago, started their own event called the Zippity Doodah in Fondren. They did that for years, and then we decided they were going to rejoin us. Some years ago, I don't remember how many, but uh, they were parading on the fourth weekend, and uh, when we brought them back into uh, our uh, umbrella, we decided to take their date, which was the fourth, in an attempt to get away from this long sort of nagging problem of spring break. So it is has been from that day forward, uh, the fourth Saturday in March, which is the 25th in 2023. Awesome. Awesome. All right, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Where did the idea for the parade come from? Well, I grew up in South Mississippi, And uh, parading was a part of culture. We went to the Gulf Coast uh, for Mardi Gras parades. We went to New Orleans. Mobile, of course, is where Mardi Gras began. And so living in Stone County, Mobile and New Orleans were very close to geographically to where I grew up. And they were culturally uh, where we looked to uh, uh, for culture and uh, I was very accustomed to parades and celebrations. Moon pies. Moon pies. Uh, and so 
you know, I lived in New Orleans uh, in the mid-70s, worked there in the French Quarter, again, Jazz Fest, St. Patty's Day, St. Joseph's Day, Mardi Gras. There was a celebration for everything. And I just, that was the life that I was familiar with and what I liked. And when I moved to Jackson in 1979 for one year, uh, I brought that with me. And when I got here, I was shocked that the only celebrations of record were the Dixie National Rodeo, the Christmas Parade, the Jackson State Homecoming. And after that, it was a real struggle. Did they have uh, Jubilee Jam? No. Then? That, that was all part of my life. Okay. Uh, they had a thing called the Jackson Arts Festival, which had uh, happened in the, I guess, mid to early 70s. But it was kapunked by the time I got here, and so that wasn't there. Jubilee, you know, I was around for the creation of and the uh, sort of launching of Jubilee Jam. I actually produced Jubilee Jam for a lot of years, but uh, uh, so it was not here. Okay. Well, all right, so there there had to oh, be... Oh, and I didn't answer your question. No, so, go ahead. Uh, when I was in the restaurant business, I came here to run Oliver's. I eventually ran George Street Grocery. I had other clubs, other entertainment establishments. Uh, but by the time I got to George Street Grocery in the very early 80s, uh, I really had this itch for, for events, for special occasions, for celebration. And I started doing Mardi Gras parties, St. Patrick's parties, uh, you know, at George Street. And they were very successful, and I could tell people really were interested in having those here. And I surmised when I moved here that it was a town where people worked, worshipped, uh, raised their kids. But for entertainment and fun, they went somewhere else. They either went to New Orleans or Destin or Memphis. But it was not a party town. It was a family town, and uh, <clears throat> which I have no problem with, but I wanted to live where people celebrated culture and arts. So when I was at George Street, I came up with this idea of, of having a little street parade. I first thought it was a pub crawl, and then I made it into a parade. And I just simply said, I'm going to do this, and I went out and got some sponsors. And, you know, 1983, we started at CS's and ended at George Street. Uh, it was just a few hundred of friends of mine and, uh, you know, just sort of, the reason it took off was, A, people wanted it to happen, they were curious, and B, we went on a Thursday during rush hour traffic, and it, it created a huge traffic jam in downtown Jackson, which got a lot of publicity, and uh, that got the Jackson Police Department involved. People couldn't understand why they had given me a permit, <laughs> and it created a lot of publicity, which I milked which I recognized as a promoter. <laughs> Absolutely. And I milked this, you know. People how were you? mad they couldn't get uh, Pat's roast beef on Thursday. Was yeah. that it? They were staying. Well, it was at 4.30 in the afternoon. So okay. they were trying to leave work and go home. And they were all jammed up in this traffic jam because we'd blocked off all the streets. And they were, you know, hundreds of cars deep. Back then, everybody worked in downtown Jackson. They were honking their horns and waving their arms. And I thought it was in celebration. <laughs> it turns out they were angry. And anyway, it created this uh, enormous publicity storm, which I just took advantage of and started talking about. Well, next year we'll do it on a Saturday, and we won't do this. But 
let's keep talking about this parade and this celebration. And they did, and it went on, and TV stations, newspapers wrote about it anyway. So it just became a phenomenon. By year two, we were already uh, fairly well known. So what year was this? This would have been 80, 83? 83. 83. Mm-hmm. Wow, okay. Sorry. Now I've answered your question, Dan. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so were there any fears um, about the, the parade not becoming a success? Was there, but it sounds like, sounds like after that first year, you had a pretty good idea that this was going to be something that was sticking around. Um, were there any fears that you, that you dealt with in, in planning and, and um, kind of morphing this into what it is today? Or has it just kind of gone organically and, and grown and, and grown its own, mm-hmm. grown uh, its own leg, so to speak, um, over the years? Well, I, I had, there was no fear. Um, you were just about to have fun. I was doing something uh, that I was making up as I went along. Uh, there was no real prototype. I was creating events. I was trying to establish celebrations. <clears throat> and in that same block of time, I created Zoo Blues. I was a part of Jubilee Jam, St. Patty's Day, Wells Fest, which I created during that same period. Um, I had a program called Christmas by the River that I did. No one remembers it because it only lasted two years. But I was just throwing the proverbial spaghetti at the wall. Sure, I, sure. I wanted to do this. This is what I wanted to do. And I was trying all sorts of stuff. People would call me up and say, we need to do a fundraiser. You know, we need an event. Come up with something. And I would. And so I found myself being a promoter, producer of special events. The parade was one of many. Uh, it happened to strike a nerve with the community. People loved it and because everybody could participate. And uh, so it took off instantly. It was very organic. And it grew, uh, you know, all by itself, though, you know, I was fueling it. You know, Jill, Connor Brown, and I, mm-hmm. you know, Jill, beca- Jill created a career from this. And so did I. Um, so it was, uh, again, in that business, some things work and some things don't. You just never really know. You put it out there. You see if people are interested in it. If they're interested in it, it will succeed if you do your work. And if they're not, uh, it'll go away and you can try something else. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So, But no fear. No fear. I never thought about fear. That's awesome. You know, I just thought. You can, can I get sponsors? You know, can, will I get people to come? Will people like this idea? Uh, and, and that was just all about planning, organizing, doing due diligence, making sure that I had a permit, making sure that I had barricades, making sure, uh, you know, that sort of stuff. Now, there were, at the end of Jubilee Jam, I was fearful because I had become the producer and I was on the line for hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. And if it didn't work, it was my money. And at the very last Jubilee that I produced, I lost $125,000. And at the time, I thought I was wow. about bankrupt. Uh, but I wasn't. But it was a difficult uh, lick. Now, Jubilee Jam had been incredibly successful up until that point. But ultimately, several years of bad weather just got us. If you can't. If you're outside and you can't perform, people don't come. And if they don't come, there's no way to cover your expenses. Right. So anyway, got off on Jubilee Jam. Awesome. I love it. All right. 
Um, as you have matured over the past 40 years, and Lord knows you have matured over the past 40 years, um, <laughs> have your thoughts of what you want the parade to represent shifted in any way? And if so, walk us through the progression of that shift. Sure. Yeah, in the beginning, it was uh, more of just a kind of wacky idea. And, uh, you know, maybe it was about trying to figure out how to make a living off of doing these things, which I had no prototype for. Uh, but it quickly evolved into what I consider a cultural celebration, a, a rites of spring, a town telling its story. And I, I moved to that pretty quickly. I realized that it was more than just people drinking beer and putting on a silly hat. It was about hometown, homecoming, family, friends. People came to Jackson for this. Prior to that, everybody went away from Jackson right. to celebrate. I really felt like we had accomplished something by saying, you know, this is a hometown celebration. This not is only, this is not only do you not have to go out of town, but your out-of-town friends will come here right. and hang out with you, and they'll think it's cool to be in your town. Right. And I've, I picked up on that pretty quick. And that became sort of my goal. It became my career. That's why I worked at the Mississippi Arts Commission. That's why I became the Mississippi Tourism Director. That's why I created Howl and Mouse. That's why I did all of this stuff. Was I had this mantra that, you know, our story is our greatest asset. In order, if we tell it and tell it well, wonderful things happen. We create economic development. We create... Uh, business, and we create civic pride. And I believe that, you know, I, I think these things are, are uh, about, you know, telling our story and not telling or not running out of town every time, you know, it's the weekend to tell someone else's story. But anyway, that's how I perceived it. And that's how it evolved from just a wacky idea into sort of a profession, you know, um, a, a you know, a concrete thing. And I later named it the Mississippi's creative economy. And I'm, I may, I launched a career around it. You know, I convinced governor Haley Barber that this was a real thing. I did a study of Mississippi's impact from the creative sector. And I began to you had data. <laughs> you were prepared right with on. data. Yeah. And, and so that's what it is to me. It's not about a funny hat and a beer. It's about civic pride. It's about a town telling its story. And that's why it's black and white, male, female, young people, old people. It's all inclusive, and its, it's attempt is to talk about who we are and, and you know, how we live and what our story is. Beautiful. Um, all right, so... Your goal was, from the very beginning, to uh, create something that was uniquely Jackson, right? Something that was um, all ours, right? Um, what are some of the things that set the Hal's St. Paddy's Day Parade apart from, say, other St. Paddy's Day parades? Well, <clears throat> uh, this one, uh, again, I think I called it the People's Parade, all the, the time. You didn't have to be in a crew or a club. You didn't have a to click. Be, you didn't have to be invited by me. It was open to the public. Any and everybody could participate. People would say, well, 
we want to be involved. And I would say, you are involved. Get yourself afloat. Come up with a theme. Give $200 to the children's hospital. You're in. Or if you don't have $200 and you don't have a bunch of friends, just put on a silly outfit, and I'll see you Saturday at 1 o'clock and just join in. Right. And everybody realized that uh, it was their parade. It wasn't my parade. It wasn't my brother's parade. It wasn't Hal and Mal's parade. It wasn't the city of Jackson's parade. I've been very careful from the beginning to say it's the people's parade. If you say you're in it, you're in it. If you want to be a part of this, you're a part of it. Right. Now, uh, there may be some clubs or cliques or, uh, or crews out there that it's by invitation only and to, to be in their group. But if they don't invite you, come see me and I'll get you invited to some other group. Right. You know, So that is the reason um, that I think it works and the, the reason it has worked all these years. And I forgot what the actual question was. Well, the, the question, what, what sets the, the House St. Patrick's Day Parade apart from, yeah. say, other parades? That What, what are some different things that, that this parade offers that others don't? Well, a couple of things. First of all, it's not a traditional St. Patrick's parade. It's obvious. You know, it's not about St. Patrick. It's loosely based on the story of the patron saint of Ireland. But it's more about the rites of spring. It's about spring coming to Jackson, spring coming to Mississippi. And it's much more akin to Mardi Gras than it is St. Patrick's Day. So it's a hybrid Uh and it's open to everyone. If, I, if that, there are two things that make it different, I would say those are the two things. You mentioned Mardi Gras. Um, how did uh, th- how did your love for Mardi Gras kind of shape how you went about planning uh, what you would like the parade to become? Well, the throws. I was big on throws. There were several clubs down there in New Orleans uh, that I mimicked, like the group I marched in, the O Tuck Society. That's a riff off of the St. Joseph's Day Parade in the French Quarter where all these Italian men put on tuxedos and sashes, carry canes of flowers, and hand them out a a flower for a kiss. Now, in 2023, we don't do a lot of kissing anymore. (laughs) But in the old days, we'd kiss a stranger for a flower. We, We now sort of do a little peck on the cheek or a pat on the head and hand out a flower. But I ripped that completely off from these men marching in the French Quarter at St. Joseph's Day when I lived in the French Quarter and worked in the French Quarter, ran the Bourbon Orleans Hotel, and I saw this, and I thought, I like that component. And then the throws, the beads, the cups, the candy, you know, I saw that at Mardi Gras both on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. I saw it in Mobile, and I saw it in New Orleans, and I realized that's why a lot of people come, because they want stuff. So we, those two things. Um, and then just uh, the, the idea of dressing up, being wacky, uh, having fun. Letting loose. Just, yeah, just enjoy yourself. So I think that's the way it's related and not related at the same time. Cool, cool. Would you say that um, uh, that that you getting sober had affected or has affected in any way, shape, or form what you want the the parade to 
to represent, or has was that something that was kind of just unique to to Malcolm all along throughout all different phases of your life? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I got sober um, on the 31st day of January in 2005, and Danny, you and I were in Copac together. That's <laughs> yes. the first time I ever laid eyes on you. I remember driving in your Ford Explorer to an outside meeting. There you go. So um, several things happened while I was at Copac. One was I turned 53. Two, my daughter had a birthday while I was out there. And three – the parade occurred because I, I arrived in late January and I was out there until almost February. Well, March, actually, I'm sorry. I was out there actually till April. I stayed for the full meal and then aftercare. I did three months of in treatment and a full aftercare uh, uh, part as well. But I remember this so well, you know, I had, you know, I had to know that I had to let all that go. And, and focus only on my sobriety, which I was doing at Copac after I fought it for a good month. Sure. Uh, I was a total, total turd <laughs> for a month. Um, uh, yeah. I got in so much trouble because I wouldn't take my cap off. Uh, I, the a list renegade. Is, <laughs> I kept a list of everything that was wrong with Copac and things that they needed to fix. And they I needed a parade, didn't I they? I was constantly presenting this to the treatment team, and, of course, <laughs> they would just roll their eyes and laugh and, and say, you know, uh, just keep Go working. Go to group, Malcolm. But, but anyway, <laughs> so um, as it approached parade time, I went to my counselor, uh, a guy named David Germany, who I love dearly. I haven't seen in a while. but He's doing well. He's at the he, uh, uh, VA. David's part of the reason I'm here. Uh, you know, he helped save my life. But he was hard on me, and he told me on the front end, he said, I'm going to be extremely hard on you because you have the capability and the possibility of helping a lot of people. So I don't want to mess this up with you. It's like, whatever. But he and I fought a lot. We argued a lot of confrontations. <laughs> but uh, when it came around to parade time, I put in for a TL. To, to go to the parade. You know, I'm in a recovery center, and it only made sense to me that I would be let out to go lead thousands of drunks down the street. Right, I right. mean, I mean, that made sense to me. Right, right, yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, so David said, oh, i tell you what you do, Malcolm. Uh, I, it's probably not going to happen. But I, what I want you to do is I want you to write a press release uh, stating that you will not be attending or leading the parade this year. And bring it to me and, and let me read it. So I wrote this press release. You know, Malcolm White, founder of the Miles St. Patty's Day Parade, will not attend the parade this year. And I, you know, I wrote all this stuff out. You know, I was in a treatment center, blah, blah, blah. Was that hard? Was that hard? Of course it was. It yeah. was designed to be hard. Yeah. So I took it to David and he said, read it out loud. So I read it. And, he, you know, how, how does that make you feel? Right, blah, right, blah, blah, right. blah, blah. And so he said, you know, we'll talk about it, sort of. So I thought, well, that's that. I'm not going. So, you know, a little later, two or three days later, he called me in, and he said, uh, we've decided to, to grant your TL request. We're going to let you go to the parade. Wow. And so. Oh, well, they made you sweat it for a while, didn't of they? Of course they did. <laughs> so off I go, and, um, uh, you know, I had, I don't know how many hours they gave me, five or six hours and it had to be structured, as y'all know. I had to tell them everywhere I was going, everything I was going to do. 
But anyway, so I, I did show up at Hallamow's, stone sober. And, uh, you know, you, we always carried these flowers and beads or, you know, these different things. That year I carried a broom. And as I marched through the parade, I sort of swept the broom. And, you know, and I was, you know, metaphorically cleaning my side of the street. Uh, but anyway, it went off without a hitch. Uh, I got back sober. And uh, so, so that was how I experienced the parade sober for the first time. So that was the 22nd parade. So now it's 18 years later. Uh, but I have a lot of sober friends who march with me in my group. Uh, I don't think about I don't think about it really anymore. Uh, I don't drink, and that's that. So if other people are drinking, good for them. You know, right, I, right. I, it's it's a non-issue for me. Um, I haven't really changed that much about the parade since I've gotten sober. I've changed a lot about myself, you know. So, so if that sort of uh, manifests itself uh, as changes, I haven't noticed. Right. It's, it's a. It's something that's so much bigger than you are than than you today. It's you know. I can see how it would be kind of uh, easy for you to to be be able to grow as a human yourself and still let the parade be what it's supposed to be. Yeah. And it's supposed to be a place for people to come and, you know, drink alcohol. If they want to drink alcohol, have a good time, you know, like it, that's okay. And, and it's, it's beautiful to me that you are okay with it being what it is. Um, it's a beautiful thing to me. And, and, uh, I hold you in, in incredibly high regards for your ability to, um, to help it grow, but also realize that it's it's bigger than all of us. I mean, right. it's it's our whole city, you know. Yeah, it's it's not my parade. It was just my idea, and you know, the metaphor is the parade is like all of life. I don't control that. I don't get to say what people do and don't do. I only control what I do. And there's not a person on the street that knows or doesn't know whether or not I've been drinking beer that day, and they could care less. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. They want one of my flowers. Right. <laughs> they want me to wave at them. They want some beads. They want a smile. They want to be reassured that this is a thing that uh, is good and positive. Uh, I mean, sometimes, you know, I see somebody who's had too much to drink, and I sort of, in a, you know, for a moment, I think, am I responsible for that? But then I know I'm not. It's right. not my, none of my business. No. My no. business is to produce this entertainment peace and however people act is their responsibility well i guarantee you that right next to that person that may have had a little bit too much to drink as a young girl that's sitting there with her parents experiencing the parade for the first time and having just a wonderful incredible experience and that too falls back on that that started with your idea so it you know there are going to be people that are going to be crazy it's just part of it but there's also 10 times more positivity yeah. and love and excitement and joy that, that surrounds that parade. So I wouldn't yeah. even stress about it. Yeah. You know, people, uh, people over imbibe at, at Mississippi state football games. They over imbibe at the Neshoba County fair. They over imbibe at the state fair. They over imbibe on a Saturday night. It's absolutely none of my business. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I don't. That's a choice. Right. Right. 
Absolutely. All right. Um, was the uh, was the parade something you thought would turn into just the beautiful production it is today? Did you are I have a feeling, I have a thought that maybe deep down you always knew that this was going to be something that is going to go on for a long time and it's going to be a beautiful thing for for years and years to come. But was there was there are you ever kind of blown away by the the how it grows, how it's grown, uh, and the production that it's truly become today. I knew in year three that it it had caught on. In my business, or what used to be my business, when you put something new out there, the first year, it's just, you know, get through it, see what the response is. In year two, you're, you've sort of refined the idea and you've worked hard on what you observed in year one. Year three, it either is or it isn't. And I've the novelty will have worn off. You can figure I, it out. You can you can say this isn't gonna work. Uh, or I'm beating my head against the wall here. Or this has legs. And you know as a producer, promoter. And I knew in year three that I was on to a, an idea that had legs, that people loved it. Everybody wanted it. And it it unless I screwed it up it was going to work. Right. Uh, so I knew that. Um, but it blows me away every year when I turn down Capitol Street and I look and I see these people. Uh, and I think, wow, you know, this is a response to an idea that I had. But I had that same feeling, you know, at Jubilee Jam, sure. at Zoo Blues, uh, at Howlin' Mouths, if I had a big crowd, a big night. Um, you know, I thought, wow, you know, this is, this is interesting. You know, this is how it works. Right? Do you have any, <laughs> do you have any, uh, attendance estimates or do you know any numbers? <laughs> is there any way to track that? No, it's all made up and, uh, <laughs> and it's, it's weird too. Cause it's a catch 22. If I say it looks like 70,000 people, my insurance carrier says your insurance is three times what you told me it was. Right. If I say it looks like 20000 then my insurance is more affordable. But the tourism people are less impressed. So I have right. multiple audiences who are interested in numbers. I don't The correct number share. is the one you signed on that insurance application. <laughs> they will sue you for that. Yeah. Well, there's no way to know. I first, told the truth to the insurance company. First That's of all, there is no answer. Right. There is no entity that has ever attempted to calculate the attendance because they don't pay, they don't register, they don't go through any gate. They're just out there. There's no way to know. There's no way to know unless you hire. There are people who do this for a living. There are companies who will come to Jackson, and they have this uh, sort of process where they will count a, a little group here and then multiply it by how many groups they see, and they will actually come up with a fairly reasonable number. Computation. But generally that's done by a tourism entity, like Visit Jackson or Visit Mississippi would do that. I have no interest in doing it. It's no, I don't care. I just know there's a lot of people out there, and it looks, I will say, it looks bigger than last year or 
for a rainy day, this is a huge crowd. You know, right. I will make comments like that. I've got some follow-up questions for you, but I don't want to trample on your. No, okay. Well, we'll 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 finalize this this uh, set of questions real quick, and then we'll jump into what you've got. Um, okay, so um, I was reading on the website, and uh, one of the things that that um, was was touched on was um, the fact that the parade gives people ways to express themselves. In, in ways that they otherwise could not, uh, would not be able to express themselves. Walk us through a little bit of those ways of, of how folks can can come and, and not be ashamed, but express themselves and be 100% who they want to be that day. Well, yeah, I think on that day, it's, you know, people can do and be what they want to be, as long as they're, you know, there's no nudity or sure. acting out, whatever. Um, I think it's one of those days where free expression is welcomed and encouraged, and people take advantage of that. There's a lot of wacky stuff out there. Really in- interesting and, costumes. Yeah, and yeah. Well, uh, if I didn't know anything about the Sweet Potato Queens, if I just happened to see that, I would think, what on earth? Yeah. What are they doing? Right, yeah. Yeah, you've got uh, these full-grown women. Uh, dressed in these ridiculous outfits with uh, ridiculous ex- wigs, and <laughs> extensions to their body parts, uh, accentuated bottoms and tops, crazy wigs. Uh, uh, there's even a, a guy out there in one of those dresses and wigs. But, uh, you know, they're just doing their thing. Uh, they're having fun. They're uh, tossing beads and uh, they're raising money for uh, Children's of Mississippi just like we all are. And, uh, you know, if anything has changed, Danny, back to your question is we're far more interested in how we benefit children's of Mississippi now than we are in how much beer we sell. Maybe in the early days we may have been more interested (laughs) in beer sales, but not so much anymore. Right. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's a carte blanche day. It's a day uh, away. It's a day apart. It's a day people can express themselves tell their story, be wacky, have fun. Uh, so there, there's a lot of that, yeah. Just let loose. Yeah, let it bleed. <laughs> I love it. All right, Drew, what you got, brother? So uh, a few things. Um, if if you don't – how do you determine the metric for success if you're not you're not getting a per-head – taste of an entrance fee so what what how does malcolm go home and say okay this this year we all right we avoided what happened at jubilee jam this is <laughs> well um you know in terms of economics i try to break even you know we raise a lot of money i raise a hundred thousand dollars every year to do this so this do, thing costs a you, lot of money you put up the money no i raise it that you raise the money from investors or Companies, sponsors sponsors individuals and, and that pays for security those Barricade. porta potties barricades are 35 to forty thousand dollars get out insurance is but it was it's going to be twenty thousand dollars this year that's incredible. And yeah. then what, I mean, Jeez, perhaps Louise. I'm, I mean, was, was the hope that these people would 
march up and down the street and then go to Howlin' Mouths and get beer? No, I started this long before Howlin' Mouths. No kidding. I started this in 83. Howlin' Mouths opened in late 85. Wow. I guess that goes to the and, testament. And, you know, and, and my brother, this is another funny story. I now call it Howl after my, I, I believe this, that people die in two ways. They die physically when they stop breathing and their heart stops functioning. And then the second way people die is when people stop mentioning their name. You so know, the reason I renamed it for my brother is that people would have no choice but to never stop saying his name. and He would always be remembered. But he didn't even live here and probably wasn't even at the first parade. He was away doing something else. He, he didn't come here till 1984, 85 to join me in this wackiness that we call Howlin' Mouse. So, uh, but, but I renamed it for him because I could when he passed and I wanted people to call his name. Uh, but it's funny that really he was not even involved. He marched with me probably in the second and third year. I don't even think Howe was at the first parade, which is cool. And, and people don't know that and it doesn't matter, but it is interesting. When did Howl and Mouse open? Well, it, it opened in... 85, we had evolved that building, uh, the old GMO freight depot that we occupy and I now own, had been vacant for many years. And I got the lease in 83. We put the Lamar there first. When they, when the city, when the JRA bought the old Lamar Theater and tragically tore it down to build one Jackson place, there was a bar in there called the Lamar. And it was a college bar. And it was open two nights a week, and it featured these show bands, and it was a phenomenon. And when it closed, we moved it from the theater to the Howlin' Mouse building, and it operated in there until the drinking age was changed from 18 to 21. And when that happened, this business was gone, because that's what this was, was a college bar. So then we had a building with no business in it. And it was then that I went to my investors and my partners, and I said, I'll take the building if y'all don't want it. And they didn't. So that's when I called Hal, and I said, I have the building that we've been talking about all of our lives. I've got it. Come on down to Jackson, and let's do the restaurant. And we did. Well, you have certainly done it. I mean, Hal and Mal's is coffee table book famous it, it's been in books i mean it, it was in, it, uh, it represents uh, as much of jackson as literally anything i can think of yeah, i it's mean pretty incredible uh le- legitimately i mean it it is an image of it is you know any book about jackson would would have that in there right so you open the restaurant continue the the parade and i moved the parade uh I started at George Street because that's where I worked and no one else would let me have a parade there. Uh, we moved it to the fairgrounds because it, by year three, it had already outgrown the George Street area. It was just too big. So we moved it to the fairgrounds. We were down there for a handful of years. And then when I opened the Howlin' Mouse, I said, I need to relocate this to a place with infrastructure, a building, bathrooms, because everything at the fairground was temporary. It was like setting up a temporary village. Right. It was expensive, and I, and I had to give all the concessions to the state contractors. So there's no way to make any money. So we moved it to Howlin' Mouse probably about 
86, 87, somewhere in there. But uh, it preceded Howlin' Mouse, which a lot of people don't know. A lot of many, 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 many people refer to this as the Howlin' Mouse St. Patty's Parade, and that's fine and dandy. But when it started, it was just the mouse. I didn't know that until I was sitting right here. <laughs> yeah, and it started at George Street, then it went to the fairgrounds, and it made its way to Howlin' Mouse. You mentioned earlier about the civic pride that you hope to promote. And I mean, I I thought that was a a beautiful way that you put that uh, in growing our own stories. How, how do you feel about Jackson and the water problems and the failing infrastructure? I mean, that's got to be crippling to this, this idea of promoting civic pride. Well, it's impactful, not crippling. Okay. We ain't dead yet. I'll take it. Uh, but let me tell you how I feel about the water problem. I feel about the water problem in Jackson the same way as I feel about recovery. Jackson had to hit a bottom. It took a long time. We kept blowing off this idea, ignoring this idea, hoping it would go away, patching it with duct tape and bailing wire. And finally one day it got so damn bad that the national press started covering it. The Environmental Protection Agency came down on us. The Biden administration got involved. DOJ got involved. It was on every newscast all over the world. Jackson, Mississippi, and Flint, Michigan had achieved this place, this embarrassing place of having undrinkable water in America in 2023 well it's that's a bottom well it's interesting you mentioned flint michigan you everybody remembers aaron brockovich from the movie but she was on uh stephen colbert's uh show one night and she was talking about how the water problem is only going to get worse across the country that that uh, it just so happens that jackson seems to have been the after flint michigan the the, the tipping point yeah uh that every city is guilty of, of what Jackson has done, neglecting the infrastructure. And she said it basically has to do with there are two ways to clean water to deliver to the populace. One is cheap. One is expensive. The cheap way just happens to cause a corruption of the pipes uh, from the inside out. I mean, can, I'm just regurgitating what she said. I'm not a scientist. But I think other cities are going to fall for are going to fall for the same reasons. And it's got to be my heart breaks for people like you, for Pat Boland, for Jeff good. I mean, Jackson seems to be doing everything it can to beg the remaining businesses to leave. (laughs) Yeah, it does seem that way. Um, but again, I, I equate it to my own life, which is all I know. And here's what I know. From your bottom into recovery, you can be successful, and we are on our way back up. This $700 million is on its way. We have hired a third-party professional to take this over. Uh, There's nowhere to go but up. Uh, Things are getting better, and I believe we will turn this episode into, as you said, sort of a story of how an American city can recover from this uh, and get it right and do better 
and yes, our image has been damaged and tarnished and hurt and wounded. And those of us who are in business have suffered incredibly. I mean, we came out of COVID and right into two water crises. And it, it, <laughs> the businesses are still open, deserves Nobel Prizes. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, what I decided in post-COVID and mid-water crisis was that I loved what I had created at Howlin' Mouse, but I just couldn't do it anymore. I was about to be 72, and it was really more than I wanted to do. I did not want this to be my final chapter, and it was wearing me out. So I, uh, none of my kids wanted to take it over. The next, There was only two options, sell it or find a buyer, and I was blessed to find you know, Damien and Mary Sanders Kavicki to, to, to buy it and to keep it going and to let the story continue to be told. And look, kudos but, to them. I mean, Campbell's, Howlin' Mouse, I mean, yeah. they're – I salute people that try to keep these institutions going because it can't be. It's got to be hard. It's hard under the the best of circumstances yeah. to run a profitable restaurant. That's right. Uh, when everything's working, you get to make 4%. I mean, when everything's – so nobody's making 4%. Right. Look, I remember – so I worked <laughs> at Walker's. was the first restaurant I ever worked at, and uh, I learned about food costs, and I thought, Surely their math is wrong. How, how, I mean, how are you? It's razor thin margins in the, you know, it's a tough way to serve the Lord. Um, (laughs) I decided in 1974 when I was at university of Southern Mississippi about my fourth college to try. And I got a job as a dishwasher in a restaurant. I decided this was something that I would enjoy doing. And I was pretty good at. And within a year, I was the assistant general manager of the Bourbon Orleans Hotel in the French Quarter. And um, the cream rises to the I top. I was loving it. And I've really never done anything else. I mean, I, it's not just food and beverage, but it's entertainment and hospitality. Music, you know. hospitality. But, yeah, it's a, it's a tough business. And, um, you know, we're, we're fortunate, yeah, I think, that we have really great restaurants and and entertainment spots here in Jackson. Uh, a lot of them have moved to the suburbs. That's fine. I don't care. People need to do what people need to do. They need to live in Madison. Great. They need to live in Fondren. Great. I, you know, to me, Jackson is Metro, you know, the three counties to me is Jackson, Mississippi. Right. I don't get hung up on where people, what their address is or where they send their kids to school. And, and let's face it, schools drive, residential selections right so um i get it but uh look i i love this place i came here it's been good to me i've had great success i got sober here got married here i've made business decisions here i've had a lot of success here it's a great place to live it's unusual it's different it's not for everybody it's a bit funky um, but, uh, you know, it's what I call home. It's, you know, and I'm good with it. And, uh, how does being it's been a good run? <laughs> I, one of the questions I came up with is you are a staple of the Jackson community. How does that affect or impact your day to day life? Does the lack of anonymity bother you or can it? 
No, I got used to it a long time ago. Uh, I made I made this decision. I mean, I literally decided one time that part of my business strategy, this or life strategy, was going to be someone who was a public person. I was a public person when I worked for the state. I was a public person when I ran Howlamows. I was a public person with the parade. <clears throat> it was a decision. Now, sometimes it gets old, <clears throat> and the older I get, the more I sort of work my way out of it. Groom the next class. Yeah, the, 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 people will say, oh, how am I going Have you met Damien Kavicki? Right. Oh, the St. Patty's Day Parade. I'm like, oh, have you met, uh, you know, Alex Coates, this young fellow I've hired to shadow me? <laughs> and one thing I want to say about the parade, <clears throat> I know we've sort of covered the parade, but in, in 2019, I turned the parade into a nonprofit. I established a fund at the Community Foundation, and I created a community advisory board, and we have hired a young fellow, Alex Coates, to learn how to be the director of the parade. And I did all that deliberately because it's, it's a succession planning. It's, it's preparing for the future. And this is a really important part. You, you'll never always be young and, you know, able to do big ideas. Uh, doesn't mean you won't have big ideas, but, you know, I'm... The energy and gusto to execute on I'm them. I'm grateful to be in this... Uh, you know, phase of my life where I am, where I'm teaching others and handing off and evolving uh, and, and making my way. I'm far more, I spend much more of my time now being a grandfather than I do being a grand marshal. It's very different now. I don't mind being a grand marshal once a year. I don't mind being a public speaker. I don't mind showing up and doing things. But really, what I get off on is grandparenting. What do they call you? Bop. B-O-P. Bop. <laughs> I love it. Love it too, man. All right. Well, I just I have to say this before we're running out of time, but I, I want to um, openly uh, express how I feel about you. Is, um, when, when I was first getting started with my, my business, um, I reached out to you and you sold me uh, my my very first trailer for three hundred dollars. <laughs> so, I want you and 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 since that moment, my business has grown uh, leaps and bounds. Um, but it all originated with that one first decision that you made to sell me that that old beat up U-Haul trailer. Um, so, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you for being there for me um, when when I was just getting my business started and. Um, and, and being supportive of, of me and my business uh, throughout the years. Um, you have been uh, a, a, a big part of, of my life, and I'm very grateful to you for that. Well, that's how recovery works, you know, sharing, helping others, uh, being present. Uh, you know, you and I met in this journey, <laughs> and uh, I thought that was a way to help somebody, and I did, and I'm glad it worked out. And uh, I'm glad we're still here. Yeah, you know? absolutely. <laughs> we're absolutely. still standing. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, Drew, do you have anything else that you'd like to ask, throw in? I mean, I could sit here and ask you <laughs> questions all day, but no, no, no. It's it's a fitting time to end it. It really awesome. is. Malcolm, thank you so much. Yes, sir. Uh, we thank you for being here, and I really thank you for, uh, you know, the work you've done to promote Jackson and – Jackson is better for having had you move back here. Absolutely. 
Well, thank you. I've, I've enjoyed it, and good luck uh, with, with this recovery lab and all the other enterprises that y'all are involved in, and uh, look forward to seeing y'all in the rooms. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, Malcolm. <laughs>